Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Let us pray. Almighty God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. I'm Pastor Corey, and as always, I am so grateful to be with you today on this second Sunday of Lent. We are continuing our sermon series this morning in Altered Life. And last Sunday, Pastor Adam kicked us off in the Gospel of Mark, sharing with us what it means to embrace the wildernesses of our lives, to embrace them as an opportunity for preparation, for receiving God's purposes in our lives, how the wilderness season of Lent beckons us to know more deeply what God is calling us toward. And this week, as we continue, we continue seeking what it is that God desires of us as disciples, as those journeying in Lent to ultimately confess who Jesus is, just as Peter does prior to the passage that Savannah read to us just a moment ago. Peter says, in response to Jesus' question, Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah. And Peter gets that part right. A plus, confessing Jesus as Messiah, that is the truth. But Peter, however, doesn't explain exactly what he means. But we learn what Peter means because the other disciples think the same thing. They know that the Messiah is God's anointed one, but they believe, just as Jewish tradition believes, that he's the one who's going to come and save them from the tyranny and oppression of the Roman world, the one that would reestablish 
their kingdom and bring them to an even greater glory than the likes of King David or King Solomon ever knew. And again, these things are actually true. Jesus has come to deliver us from oppression and injustice and to establish a forever kingdom. But it's how he does that, that none of the disciples and many of us, we can't seem to comprehend it. It's so hard to understand because it's counter to our human concerns. Jesus' message to the disciples this morning is frustrating because it's so counter to our nature and cultivation of how the world works. The disciples think of Jesus' victory from a human vantage point. They believe Jesus' victory will be a salvation that promotes the righteous here and now with human greatness, with rank and prestige and position and power. And again, we know this because we know the disciples think this because they can't stop constantly showing their cards right? Uh, They keep telling us that they perceive being affiliated with Jesus as a pass toward upward mobility. They'll argue in just a few verses, who's the greatest among us? They're desperate to know who is the disciple valedictorian. And Jesus has to tell them, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. There's no valedictorians here. And then the two brothers, James and John, they asked for prominent seats next to Jesus in the kingdom to come. And Jesus has to tell them, he says this, you know that those who are regarded as the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus predicts his own death three times in Mark's gospel, and he has to constantly attend to the disciples' misunderstandings of what his mission and purpose are in this world because they're confused by it. And here in chapter 8, Peter, who gets part of it right, Jesus, you are the Messiah. He is the most confused. The text tells us that Jesus began to teach, and what he began to teach was that the Son of Man himself must suffer many things, that he must be killed. And as quickly as Peter utters his confession, Jesus is the Messiah, the one who has come to save and redeem us all, as quickly as he confesses, Peter rebukes Jesus. He essentially says with his actions, listen, I believe you are the Messiah, just not that kind of Messiah. Not not the kind that gets murdered. We need your power here. Peter wants to decide who Jesus is for himself. Peter wants to tell Jesus who Jesus is. And the even more striking piece of it, I think, is that Peter thinks he can actually change Jesus' plan. 
if he just rebukes the author of creation, the Holy One, he can get what he wants. He can have the Messiah he envisioned. And as we really dig into this passage, I think this is just like us. How often do we rebuke Jesus to justify our own human concerns, to justify the way we want to practice our faith or the way we don't want to practice our faith. We desperately want to change Jesus' mind because we think we know better, but all we know, all our human concerns are typically concerned with is what benefits us. That might hurt a little. It hurt Peter. It hurt the disciples on the road who wanted to know who was the greatest among them. It hurt James and John as they vied for those seats of honor at Jesus' side. They thought they knew what this life of discipleship would look like, but Jesus keeps telling them, what a life lived in me looks different. And frankly, it will cost you a whole lot more than you're willing to let yourself imagine. A life lived in Jesus will require you to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow me. It will, it will require you to become last so that others might become first. It will require a life lived in service, not in being served. And this, my friends, this is, to quote Mark, the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I help assist in a few classes at Duke Divinity School, and I feel like this is the moment when the professor says, okay, let's take a five-minute break. Right now, we may be experiencing what many of the disciples felt. This, this life sounds really hard. I don't know if I'm up for this life of discipleship. We may be feeling anxious, like, that's actually me. I keep trying to tell Jesus who Jesus is, trying to live a life of faith on my own terms. I think all of us in this season of Lent have an opportunity to ask ourselves these hard questions, and I think all of us have a responsibility to ponder what Peter's confession means, what our confession of Jesus as the Messiah means. And I believe we all have an opportunity to repent from our attachment to human concerns above God's concerns. Some of us may feel scared, like, I, I don't know if I can give up all that Jesus is asking of me. I don't know if I can take up Jesus' cross. And even others of us may be wondering, like the disciples, what does it mean to take up our cross and deny ourselves to follow Jesus? What does it mean for Jesus when he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it? As I think about these questions, I think about the people I've witnessed in my own life who've given themselves completely to something. The people in my own life who've given their lives in the most painful ways those who've given their souls to human causes, to the grind of careers or to long-held values that diminish others. I've witnessed people in my life give theirs, 
for the art of grudge holding or reputation building or to some other human concern to apathy, feeling like we have no purpose or ability to impact or to the tunnel vision of internalized survival, having to acquire enough each day for ourselves to make sure we can make it to the next. Ultimately, whoever we are, we all have already picked up something, and we are all dying for it. We are all dying for something right now. We are all suffering for something right now in our lives, something we have decided may be our Savior or our Messiah, the thing that will save us from being nothing. But that thing, whatever it is, it is a human concern. Whatever it is, it is telling us the lie that we may gain the whole world. But Jesus says, what of your soul? What about the state of your soul? That is of godly concern. That is what Jesus has come to teach us will be saved by laying down whatever the world has convinced us to pick up. We know what's in our hands. It's different for each of us. And Jesus speaks into our lives. This isn't going to match what you've been taught. But let me tell you how by putting it down, and picking up this cross, you gain so much more. Because you don't need to hold the whole world. We may read this passage and get anxious thinking that a life lived in Jesus is a life of inevitable suffering. But I'll say it again, you are already suffering for something. Hear this. A life lived in Jesus doesn't require suffering. It requires service. It requires such a deep commitment to being of service to one another that we are willing to suffer if we must in order to serve. Again and again, Jesus reminds us that that, this is his mission. I have come to serve, not to be served. And it is that commitment to service that will cost him his very life. In Luke 4, Jesus tells us his mission. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. To pick up the cross of Jesus means to join Jesus in the mission of service. And we only have to look at Jesus' own life to know what he models for our lives. In Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We aren't called 
to suffer. We are called to serve this Messiah. In service, we find our very souls. And if you don't believe that, if you can't understand that, I encourage you to try it. To talk to somebody who's dedicated their life to service for the mission of Jesus Christ. Ask anyone who has in any moment sought to embody the mission Jesus lays out again and again to love those the world rejects and to serve those the world has dismissed. These are godly concerns and they will save our very lives. Again, we are not called to suffer for the gospel. We are called to serve for the sake of the gospel. And we may say Jesus suffers, the disciples suffer, Our commitment to service in the name of Jesus must be so deep that we are willing to suffer for its completion. We are willing to sacrifice ourselves so that others may go ahead of us, so that others may know this sacrificial love of Jesus. And again, if you don't believe, you'll gain your soul in doing so. Recall a time when you were of service, when you made a sacrifice, when you fed the hungry, tended the sick, visited the imprisoned, did you come alive? And if you can't recall a time, talk to someone. Ask folks who assist with our Backpack Buddy program to feed food insecure children in our community. Ask them what they've sacrificed and what they've gained in their work alongside all of you of helping provide food for the most vulnerable. Ask our outreach team and the volunteers who've signed up what they've given and what they've received in helping coordinate numerous blood drives over this last year. Ask anyone you've seen drop off food or pick up one of our share the love bags for those in our community struggling with homelessness. Why? For what purpose? What have you sacrificed and what have you gained? Ask our youth, past or present, who've been on a mission trip. Ask them what they've sacrificed and what they've gained. I encourage you, if if you're longing toward an opportunity to embody this mission, this service, stay tuned after the service today as Pastor Adam leads us in a year in review for 2020 and shares all the many opportunities we've had in this last year and will foreshadow those that will be for us in 2021. Church, our confession that Jesus is the Messiah is one that requires we know who this Messiah is. One whose life, death, and resurrection embody a life of service even in the midst of suffering. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. If Jesus is the Messiah, what will you lay down in this Lenten season And what will you take up? Let us pray. God of compassion, 
The way of the cross is as much a mystery to us as it was to the immediate followers of Jesus. But we have heard how your grace is exercised in the journey of suffering and rejection experienced by Jesus. Help us to hear with ears inspired, to see with eyes open to your ways, and to respond with lives committed to your service. God of our Lenten journey, we watch and walk with Jesus. We repent, O oh God. We struggle to name our own cross, even though we try. You must show us the cross you give us. Help us see. Give us the faith to respond and follow Jesus. We have heard that it is in losing our life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus that we find our life. God of our Lenten journey, we watch and walk with Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.